So it's good to be back again today. Like obviously, we weren't here last weekend. Just for you, Andrew, I'm going to tip this over. It's good to be back. Um, we were obviously away last weekend. We were in Brizzy celebrating our anniversary. Um, spent a lot of good times together. Walking, we did a lot of walking around. We'll get to that in a bit. But um, walking around to do different experiences, walking around to eat different things, walking around to see and look at different things is really good and it was a good way of, I suppose, strengthening our relationship that Camille and I have, our marriage. So walking was a real pivotal part of last weekend. So, but we'll get to that soon. So uh, obviously, you know, we haven't had our head in the sands and we know exactly where we are in the planner today and we know that today is another mega series week. And today we're um, going to be diving into, look at a man who kind of in a lot of ways went back to the original man and started walking with God again. So this dude's name was Enoch. He's not a massive major character, but he's, he's an influential character in a way, really. And I think we can learn a lot of good things from him and by looking at what he did and... Um, so let's do that this morning, hey? Uh, we're going to be diving into Genesis chapter 5. So if you want to open up there, I'm going to read that very soon. But just before we read it, this chapter is... Uh, i just say these words before we read. This chapter is a genealogy. And it's this, like, I don't know if you, if you know what that is, but it's probably the, kind of those chapters you get to in your yearly Bible reading plan, and you're like... Oh. Another one of these ones. Skim, skim, yeah, him, that old, that son, yep. Him, that son, yep, yep. And you sort of get the gist of it and you tick it off and you're like high-fiving yourself. I've done my Bible reading for the day. Isn't that right? We dribble our way through these things a lot of the time, these genealogies. But they're important. Like why did, as, we, as I read this, think about why God chose to put in his word the names of these people. And why did he put in, you know, their sons and who gave, and, you know, whose son is who and, you know, how old they were? Like, why did God do that? Why didn't he just say, okay, this is, the, this is from Adam to Noah. Why didn't he just say, oh, well, you know, Adam, there was this guy called Noah and he was the great, 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 great grandson of Adam. And, uh, well, there's this evil world and here's the flood, chapter six. Why didn't he say that? Like, it's still God's word. We would have believed it if he'd said it. So what's there for us to learn from this chapter 5? And in particular, this Enoch character. So let's read. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and he named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. 
Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years and he died. When Jared lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands." Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. And Noah was 500 years old. Noah fathered Shem, Ham and Japheth. So how do we feel after reading that chapter? Lots of numbers floating in our heads. Anything stand out? From that genealogy, <laughs> a few at the end, I suppose, we haven't read about yet. But um, yes, you're right, most of them died. Start, the chapter starts out in this really good frame, doesn't it? It sort of it refreshes our memory of who Adam is. He's created by God and he's in God's image, and Eve as well. And their, their son that comes from them, Seth, he takes this image. So we see this image of God pushed down, passed down into this next generation. But then, then Adam dies. It's kind of off the cliff then. Because we see there's also this other thing that's passed down from father to son, isn't it? Because Seth dies. And then Enosh dies. And then Kenan dies, and then Mahalalel dies. And Jared dies, and then Enoch was not, was not what? Was not, Hebrews 11 tells us, he was not found. So I guess this means his family, grandkids, whatever, they went looking for him one day, and he just wasn't there. God had taken him. He's just gone. He's just like missing persons report. Just vanished. But then we see that his son, Methuselah, he picks up this trend and dies, albeit at a pretty ancient old age of 969 years. And then Lamech dies also after he fathers Noah and then Noah's sons. Noah fathers his three boys 
and then our chapter ends. So in this whole point, like, what does the main point of the chapter seem to be? What's the main point? What, is, what seems to be the main point? Is it, is it the fact <laughs> everyone lives for a long time, but everyone also dies. dies? Yeah, that's right. Every generation dies. And it looks like the main point is around this, that everyone dies. And it looks like the main point is around that sin has well and truly got its hooks into you know, the DNA of humanity. It's, that's what it seems. That's what it looks like. But what if that's not the main point? What if, that, what, if, what if just this contrast that we see here, what if that is just like gives weight to the main point? What if the main point is actually brought out by this contrast between Enoch and all these other dudes that died around him? What if that's the main point? It, could, it puts a bit of a spotlight on this Enoch guy. See, everyone else is falling into the ground dead, all these other fathers of the human race, they're falling into the ground dead. But there's this Enoch guy that doesn't die. Enoch guy that doesn't die. It's a good rhyme. Um, but you see what I mean here? Like, this is the contrast that makes us look at this Enoch guy. So what's special about this Enoch guy? What, what do we read about him? What's, what did Enoch do that was so different about seemingly all these others? He walked with God. Exactly. After he became a dad to Methuselah. Young dad at like 65 years old. <laughs> but when you live to 800 or whatever, then you can complain about you know, 65 years old being not young for all you 65-year-olds. But so, see, something around Enoch here has changed in this fatherhood. So let's, let's just open up. And I've got a few thoughts about this, but then we're going to branch into what Enoch actually did. This fatherhood thing. Many of us, uh, you know, lots of us are parents here, and we can attest that, uh, you know, when a little person comes into your life or when you know that a little person is coming into your life, all of a sudden, your mind changes. Like, God has built in all these triggers into our minds that when a little person comes into our lives, our whole perspective on things just reorients around this little, setting a great platform for this little person and the best possible platform for this little person's life, for them to grow and for them to flourish, to teach them about crazy life. Everything changes around our protection of this little one. It's just what happens as parents. So maybe that sort of changed Enoch's perspective on life when he became a dad, when he saw Methuselah, when he held Methuselah in his arms for the first time. Maybe it was combined with the world at this time, because what was the world like? Because this is about five or six hundred years-ish after sin has entered the world that we can sort of roughly work out with a bit of maths. And the world is, uh, you know, what are we, seven generations in? So the world's probably in really sinful freefall. Like population-wise, could be anywhere from hundreds of thousands of people, maybe millions. Some people even say that there could have been a few billion people on earth at this time of Enoch. And what are these, what are these people? Like Adrian's sermon last week, I only listened to it through the week because I wasn't here last weekend. But the line of Seth that he talked about, like this is the types of people that were making up a big part of these people. That's just a line, sorry, not the line from Cain, this um, the, the behaviour that comes out of it is like this proud, murderous kind of way. These are the, this is the, 
the type of people that were in the world spreading out, getting up in cities, setting up cities, coalescing together and sort of and perpetuating like these, these putrid lifestyles. Um, you know, imagine just people like unchecked by, you know, modern day things like uh, water cannons and like rubber bullets, like these people just going unchecked around in mobs, taking for themselves, whatever their hearts, whatever their broken hearts want and taking from other people whatever they want, stomping on other images of God to, to elevate themselves. Here's this, you know, this theme coming through and like people raising themselves up to be like gods. This is the situation. This is what the world looks like. Heaps of people, unkempt population, un hindered sort of evil freefall. So, when you're Enoch, right, you get your little child, your new little baby, you're looking at him in his sweet little innocent eyes, you look up from him and you look up into that world, how do you feel? When you want to, yeah, like, come on, dads, you know this. You feel it, because I know you do, because I do. Um, Every ounce of you, when you get a new baby, every ounce of you in like sort of, you know, like uh, muscle twitching kind of like an adrenaline kind of way, every ounce of you wants to protect that little child. But when you look around at a world that is so evil that just wants to take that baby from you, maybe physically, maybe bend that child to suit its needs, abuse that child, Every ounce of you wants to protect and wants to stand against that world to protect your child, doesn't it? Doesn't it? That's what you want. But you know that you're powerless against the world. Did Enoch look out and see those, you know, marauding like hordes of people wanting? And if, and if he realised that they wanted his child for any reason, he was powerless to stand against them. And is that sort of... I, the other week in the social Sunday brekkie, I was like, we were sharing, you know, we were talking about fears and we were sharing our fears and I was sharing with my table saying that my biggest fear is just about being utterly helpless to protect my family. That's my biggest fear as a man. That's, that is my biggest fear. And so I, when, when you see that you are helpless, how does that make you as a new father feel? How do you feel? Like, where do you go? <laughs> You're helpless. You can't do anything against the world. Where do you go? So I think it's out of this point where we see Enoch just in breakdown in a way. This is just my ideas around how we see Enoch break out of this area. I wouldn't build a doctrine about it. I'm just sharing my thoughts here. But I think out of this place of absolute helplessness and fear that Enoch has. He's like, thinks to himself, where does my help come from? And you can almost hear, even though the Psalms won't be written for thousands of years yet, you can almost hear that truth from Psalm 121 just blow back into, blow back earlier in time. He's like, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So this is God that people have been calling on since Enosh was born, I'm going to investigate this God. He is where my help will come from. He is where my help will come from. He made us. He made this heavens and this earth. 
This is where my help will come from. So I think it's out of this realisation that the Almighty God and getting close to Him uh, will protect Him and that's where His help comes from is just where this triggers really Enoch's uh, want to get closer to this God and therefore start walking with Him. As we read, in, uh, he, you know, that's Hebrew, um, Enoch's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, is the exceptional thing about Enoch was the fact that he walked with God even though he was in like an evil culture, an evil world, he was walking with God. That was his exceptional attribute, okay? That's what was so, that's why Enoch gets his mention. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death He was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And it's a flow-on information verse to sort of pack out that, uh, that Enoch chapter. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So notice this drawing near that Enoch does with God. And this is really akin to walking with. So that's where this walking with come, picture comes from. So the phrase walking with God, all right, if, if we're, going to ex, we're going to actually explore what this walking picture sort of looks like in a sec when I take this drink. Um, but uh, this walking picture, it's just such a great image of what a life looks like that is spent getting close to God. So, because, all right, life lesson. Every few weeks or so, um, BJ and I, we go, we walk, we meet up at this certain place that's between our houses. We get up really early and we go walking into um, a milk and honey or one of the other cafes in town, sort of on our north side, um, and we have brekkie together. And so, as we, we meet up at this point and we walk together, right, we, we walk down the same streets, we turn the same corners, we cross the same streets, we get yelled at by the same strangers or the same motorists that we walk in front of or whatever because we're not thinking, because we're engaged in conversation, because we're mates and we're growing our relationship. Um, and we walk together and we have a great time and our friendship builds because of it. Now, how would, would we be considered as walking together if uh, we were on different sides of the street? or we took different routes to the cafe. We wouldn't, would we? So this walking together, we walk over the, you know, the same cracks in the pavement. We have shared experience. This walking together, this is an image of what our life should be with God. We should be walking closely by Him. We should be turning corners when His way turns corners, crossing roads, when His way cross roads, crosses roads, showing love to those yelling strangers when His way shows love to those yelling strangers. You know how it goes? And this walking together breeds closeness and it builds a friendship with him. Now, imagine in an alternate scenario, all right? I leave my house at six o'clock in the morning and I'm, I'm walking and all of a sudden, my darling wife can't stand to be away from me for like five minutes, so she calls me on the phone and I'm calling, I'm talking and I'm walking along on the phone to Camille and then I get to uh, BJ's and my rendezvous point and he's there waiting and I just do these ones. Hey, man, come on, come on, just walk with me, just walk with me. I'm just, I'm just on the phone. So we, we start walking together. 
And all the way, I'm just doing these ones. I'm engaged with my, like, I'm engaged in the conversation with my wife. I'm talking, talking with her. We're, <laughs> we're laughing, we're joking, we're crying, we're yelling at each other. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. Like, we just... I'm so, so engaged with Camille in that conversation. And so we, we're, having, we're, dirt, we're airing our dirty laundry in the neighbourhoods that we walk through, people looking at us really strange. BJ's there walking along beside me the whole way. But how does he feel? How does he feel in our relationship? Has our, when we arrive at the cafe, how does BJ feel towards me? How do I feel against BJ, towards BJ? There's no closeness, no friendship's been growing there, has it? No, nothing, nothing, nothing's happened. That relationship, I've been effectively ignoring my friend, haven't I? So this is just like our relationship with God when we try walking with him and we've got an idol tucked under this arm and like a pet sin under this arm and we're walking along. We're completely ignoring God we're not walking in His way. We're not growing our relationship with Him. And look, I know that, you know, if you've got pet sins and idols, look, I know that's why, that's why we call them that, because they're hard to get rid of. But we need to, if we really want that burning heart, walk with God that the, these disciples experienced when they were walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Hey, if we want that burning, real burning heart attitude towards God, we've got to ditch that other crap. Flaky plastic, just ditch it. All right? That career that you prioritize over everything, not worth it. All right? The cars, the houses, man, they're just some of mine, but look, there's so many others, you know, just distractions and um, we've, we've got to ditch it. Hey, we've got to ditch it. We can't be walking closely with God when we're engaged with and hanging on to these other things. I'm just going to pray. Oh, Lord, forgive us for our fickle and just our flippant attitude towards walking with you. Lord, help us to walk deeply with you from just a burning heart. Just as we sit here, Lord, just convict us of what is in our lives that is stopping our walk with you. Just convict us right now, Lord. Bring it to our minds what it is. Help us to ditch that. Help us to, to follow on, following you, Lord, engaged with you, in friendship with you, walking with you. Thank you for your everlasting love to us, Lord. Amen. So, yeah, that brings us to another point. I wonder how Enoch's understanding of God's love towards him grew during walking with him. And I wonder what his understanding of God's patience happened as he walked with God. And as they got closer, how did Enoch's understanding of all those great attributes of God, how did they grow? See, in in any good loving relationship, there is plenty of patience, there is plenty of like, kindness and love and understanding towards someone who is struggling to walk. Like our little girl, our youngest Zali, that's you, baby girl, okay? 
She took ages to walk. All right, she took so long to walk. Like climbing was not a problem. Anything from like the kitchen bench to Mount Everest, like she had it covered. She could climb it. And so I don't, she didn't bother about walking. She was like, what, 17 months or something? Yeah, she took ages to walk. But I later found out that walking like, is the hardest, it's the most brain resource intensive thing that you will do in your life. It's a crazy thing, the amount of resources in your brain that go into just learning to walk. It's huge. So that gave me a heap of patience with her. Because if you think about it, it's, it's insane. Like, to walk, what do you do? You lift, like, you've got your balance perfect, you're happy, you're not falling. Okay, you lift one leg. And then you purposefully put yourself off balance, lean forward, start falling before bringing the other leg down. And then you do it on the other side of your body. Like, it's just a crazy thing, this walking business requires so much effort. So I have to be patient with her and loving and kind with her. So if I'm, when she was learning to walk, if I was walking along a footpath with her, I'd be holding her little hand and it requires me to slow right down to her pace. Okay, I'm focusing keenly on where her little feet are landing, what, whether they're landing on flat, solid ground and all these sorts of things. And I'm there holding her hand to be balance and stability and support for her. Yeah? We get that picture? Now, that's when we start life. The end of life is mirrored. It's exactly the same. Isn't it? Like when you're walking, say, with like a grandparent, you're walking with an elderly person. See, I've got this... Um, my granddad, my, my mum... This is my mum's dad. Um, all his days, he was a tall, fit... Uh, farmer, strongest man I know, manliest man I know, except my brother. <laughs> but like he was, oh, man, just, I had so much respect for him and admiration with him because he was like, I would look to him and I'd go, when, I, when I'm a man, that's what I want to be. Like he never wore shoes except to church and on his wedding day. And he was just, He's just a bear of a man, like just a real strong but gentle, loving man, a funny man. He was everything that I, I just aspired to be granddad so much. So that's what he was in life. But then the last few years of his life, he developed Parkinson's disease. And I've got like, I've got this memory of my mum and him walking around her garden and um, they're like tottering around. And mum's holding him up. So it's like the me and Zali relationship, but flipped. His little girl was holding him up. Now this is, look, God puts these pictures in our lives just to show us his love for us. So I hope you can understand where I'm coming from with that. Like his love, his patience with us, slowing down with us, his love for us. You know, in Psalm, in Psalm 37, it says the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his ways. Though he falls, he will not be cast down or he won't fall headlong. Or he won't smash his face because the Lord upholds his hand. So when we're walking with God, this is the way we see it. Like God's there. He's holding our hand. He's holding us up. If we trip, stumble, uh, 
the hand is being held up. That's our safety measure. We're not going to fall and knock our teeth out or smash our nose on the pavement. This is the way God deals with us. So how, let's, let's think about those Let's think about the alternate scenario. How terrible of a dad would I have been if when Zali was like that, I just got impatient and I just walked off at an adult pace, yelling at her to catch up with me and stop falling over and smashing her face? Or what? Or how terrible would that, like, that childhood memory be of mine, of my mum, if she just like chucked granddad's hand off her arm and just let him fall, smash his head on a rock and just walked off down the garden path herself, smelling her own flowers. How terrible would that be? That's like artwork just drop kicked on the ground, smashed, like a priceless vase, smashed. It's terrible. That's not how our God works. But that is how any man-made God, self, fake, self-help, religiosity works. All it does is screams at you and tells you to pick yourself up and do better. It doesn't ever come down and help you. It doesn't ever give you a way out. How much better to walk with our one true loving God who came down to us, who lived with us, and who walked perfectly with God as one of us. Man, that's the God I want to follow. That's the God I want to follow. Because Enoch, Enoch, he is just a type. He is just a foreshadow stuck in, you know, Genesis chapter 5 with a little bit of a spotlight on him. He's saying, hey, a man just like this dude, he is coming. There's a man going to be like this guy. He's going to fulfill this guy and he's coming. And that man was Jesus. All right, Jesus. Jesus, he joined both those worlds that Enoch was in. So he joined the, he, he walked perfectly with God as a man. And then, then, like all the others who were surrounding Enoch in that chapter 5 who died, Jesus also died. But he didn't die because of his own sin. He didn't die because he was affected by sin. He saved, he died so that we could be saved from the effects of sin. Hey, yeah. And he didn't. His death didn't end up with him uh, you know, turning into dirt in the grave. His death opened up the way to a pure and everlasting walk with God, like Enoch has or had experienced straight away. So for those of us, man, for those of us who love Jesus and those of us who have applied Jesus' death you know, over our lives, this is the hope that we've got to look forward to. This is the hope. Death Death here on this earth is just this little like, tissue paper thin rift that we walk through into a pure and everlasting walk with God. Now just, um, uh, I just want to just target a little bit of an audience. Like, I just want to speak to us as, and I'm including me in this category as well. I just want to talk to dads and young dads, especially young dads. And you know who you are, if you identify as young, then whatever. But I know Enoch, as we said earlier, Enoch was 65. But back then, the 60s were like the new 20s. He was a young dad. When you live to, you know, 365 or whatever Enoch was, like, that's pretty young. Some of the others lived to, you know, 800, 900. And, you know, 65, that's pretty young. 
But many of you, you, know, you see what Enoch saw, okay? You see your children born into a world that you disagree with, that it goes contrary to God. You want your children to, to be brought up with, you know, like a godly example. You want your children to, bring up knowing, to be brought up knowing God. But you know there's that world out there that wants to pull them away and distract and ruin them. I know this is your concern because it's mine. And those thoughts, I know those thoughts plague your mind where how, how do I father in this society? How do I father in the midst of, you know, maturity blockers like, you know, like just like, like games and, and big boys toys and stuff and then you've got over here, you've got like a derailment into like, you know, sexual temptation. And then in front of you, you've just got this cloud coming at you and it's just full of apathy breeders, like, you know, binge watching TV and, and movies and these sorts of things, just wanting you to check out and just become apathetic. You look at that. How, man, how am I meant to even navigate that myself, let alone lead my kids through it? How? How? How do I? How? How? I'm helpless. I'm like Enoch was. I'm helpless. So dads, I just want you to see Enoch and I want you to take his example. I want you to see the world around. Don't stick your head in the sand. Know what the world is. Know the place that you live in. Know the place that your children live in. Don't check out, live in a commune somewhere. Stay engaged. But here's the main thing, man. Push deep and lean into God. He's where your strength, your help comes from. Push, push, push deep into Him, yeah? Like ask, ask every day for strength just to be a strong leader and a loving man towards your Wonder Woman wife. And, and, and plead for wisdom and strength to be a godly man for your kids. Just do it. All right? if, if you're responsible to get married, if you're responsible to have sex, you are responsible for those little lives that come out of it. All right? It's not just you sort of floating out in the nether regions by yourself in a little boat anywhere. Like, You've got your wife and your kids riding on your leadership as well. So you've got to stand up. You've got to take this Enoch example. Because like my granddad on my dad's side, the first Christian to come out of like a line of just people that didn't follow God. And my granddad saw the army and came straight out of it and went into the presbytery. That didn't really work out for him, but he was a godly man for all his life. My dad is too. Now, the examples we see. And think of Enoch. Who was his great-grandson? Noah. Another man who walked with God. So this is your call, dads. Everyone, walk with God. Like Enoch did.